Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, your host Brenton Weber. Today we are talking to a wonderful gentleman called Neil Butler from Geelong in Victoria in Australia. He is a transformation leader and a broadcaster and commentator. He's um, so many podcasts now and I can't wait to introduce you to him. We're going to be covering a lot of transformation and um, a word that Neil coined to describe himself, a transformaginist. Um, I think during this COVID year, um, transformation is being landed on all of us. So I hope you find some value in that conversation. Um, we're also going to be at the end uh, with Neil being such a prolific podcaster. Um, he's going to be passing on some really good tips to those of you thinking about or just beginning your podcasting journey. Thanks. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Um, today, I'm delighted to be speaking to Neil Butler, transformation leader, broadcaster and commentator. And we've we've already met um, in the recording world because um, you very kindly invited me onto your podcast, Wow, wow Podcast, um, Words of Wisdom. Um, for those of the listeners that have never heard you or, or met or, or heard of you. Um, how about giving us a bit of an overview of who you are and you're very much I'm interested in your journey, how you became this, uh, this what I've been learning in the green room, quite um, a, a, an exceptionally uh, large volume of podcasting and broadcasting that you're getting involved in. Well, thanks for having me, Brenton. That's the first thing I should say. And for those of you who are wondering, uh, this is an Australian accent. Uh, I'm based in a in a city called Geelong. It's, I think, the ninth or tenth biggest city in Australia. It's the second biggest city in the state of Victoria. We're about 70 kilometres out of Melbourne. I grew up in Melbourne, uh, started off in my working life as a school teacher, and uh, after four or five years of doing that, decided I'd step out of teaching for six months or so, go and do a role in the corporate world, understand what the corporate folk were looking for, because I was one of the early educators of information technology in the Victorian system. So after um, the state government wouldn't actually release me for six months, I resigned at the end of 1988, and that six month is still dragging on. I haven't been back in the classroom since. In that time, I've worked for a couple of fairly significant uh, organisations in terms of uh, their size, including uh, BP, the oil company, uh, National Australia Bank, uh, Shell, so some big companies, but I've also been involved in some smaller companies as well. Uh, I, I guess I stumbled into broadcasting by accident, and uh, you can see me and the folks who are listening can't. You can understand why I do uh, audio broadcasting rather than video, visual broadcasting. But um, Birds of a feather. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, So I got into broadcasting by accident. I've subsequently been doing community radio in Australia for about 13 years, including couple of music-based shows um, and also uh, did a fair bit of broadcasting of what's called VFL football. It's one step below the Australian Football League, the AFL. Uh, it's where the reserve grade teams play. So I've been broadcasting football for seven years. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the sort of broadcasting thing. I stumbled into podcasting two or three years ago when I started recording some of the programs I was doing on radio, then splitting the interviews out and you know storing them somewhere. So technically that is a podcast. We then organised getting it into podcast stores and then the bug bit to an extent. And so subsequently, I've, I've been involved in, I think, probably 10 or 11 different podcasts. Currently got seven of them on the go uh, for various for various reasons. 
but far more important than any of that, I am the father of two very fine young people. I have a daughter called Lucy who lives in regional Victoria. She's a school teacher. And I have a son called Sam who lives in Melbourne. He's, uh, so Lucy's in her late 20s. He's in his mid-20s. And he's involved in research for commercial real estate, which is somewhat challenging at the moment, given what's going on in the world of commercial real estate um, in the middle of coronavirus. Yeah, how 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 is it over there? Um, we're, we're obviously seeing the the media stories over here. It seems like you you've you've got more of a handle on it, or you get you're getting a handle on it, and things are starting to to look like they're improving. Um, what where what's it like being there um, where you are? Well, it's all relative, and um, so Melbourne as a city, uh, it, someone once described it as a tadpole city. So there's a round bit with a tail. And the tail goes down onto what's known as the Mornington Peninsula. So all of the metropolitan area and the Mornington Peninsula have been put into stage four lockdown. Um, whereas outside of that, in regional Victoria, where I live, we're on stage three. Um, the Melbourne numbers were right down in single digits probably three months ago. Uh, and then there was an outbreak um, in, in a couple of unfortunate circumstances. The numbers got up as high as seven or 800 per day new cases. Uh, that's when the panic button was hit because Australia was getting something like a 1,000 a day and 950 of them were in Melbourne. So in places like Western Australia and Darwin, places like that that are so remote from the main population centres, they're living normally. Uh, Victoria is the state where it's, it's still biting. We're down to, I think, 51 was the number this morning. So we're pointing in the right direction. The, the big difficulty we've got now is that, you know, the, the furthest town from Melbourne that you can drive to without leaving the state of Victoria is Mildura. That's about a six and a half to seven hour drive away and from Melbourne. And so they're saying, why are we being punished from a lockdown perspective, given that we're so far away from the epicenter? So those kind of rumblings are starting to happen. Uh, Small businesses on its knees. Um, In Australia, I think there's something like two million small businesses. Um, And, you know, whether it's a cafe or whether it's a gym or whether it's a manufacturing company, uh, there's some serious restrictions on what people can do, and if you can't work from home, you can't work. So it's 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 been a tough time. The mental health issues are probably the most significant issue that we're dealing with now because there's lots of people climbing the walls. Yeah, it's uh, we <clears throat> we're we're out of our um, our level three lockdown that that we had in Auckland. Um, everyone's still in level two. We're actually in two point five, but speaking to people, even though our lockdown was shorter. This second lockdown that we've had seems to have taken more of a toll on people's, as you say, mental health and well-being. Um, the first one, it was like we didn't know how long it was going to be. Everybody um, hunkered down. Um, they were already we we're all in this together. Um, I think we also a lot of people stopped working, or they were they were they were getting used to working from a, in a virtual environment, and it meant for maybe those first two weeks, everybody was focusing on family. And in trying trying to make the best of a bad lot, um, I think with this second lockdown for us, a lot of people who are working haven't stopped working so much because all of our companies have have gone through that process of of embracing working from home. I mean, one one transformation. We, you are a transformagin. I'm going to say that again. Um, uh, you are a transformaginist. Yeah, transformaginist. Would that be correct? Have I yeah, said that, it that's time? the uh, that's the word I tend to use. Yeah, so um, I guess transformation has quickly become a synonym for big change, and I like to think about the definitions of those two words. Change means it's it's different. 
right? So the example I use is think of your traditional corporate meeting room. If someone says, we're going to paint the wall green, then you're going to need to put out a communication to people. You can't use the meeting room for a couple of days. Um, you know, there's that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, the room's still doing the same. It's just the room's now got a green wall. Yeah. If instead you said, no, this meeting room's going to become in a, a, a cafe, well, it's it's transformed. It's going to be closed down for more. You're going to need to keep people in the loop. You're going to need to do some marketing, some stakeholder engagement, all that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, what transformation seems to have come, and I think part of this is about recruiters saying, no, no, we don't just want a change manager. We want a transformation leader Yeah. Uh, because we might be painting three of the walls green. You know, it's, it's that sort of, it's no different. It's just bigger. And so I... It may have involved a couple of cool drinks on a warm afternoon with a colleague, and we were sitting down chatting about what the concept of transformation was. And I said, we've got to get to a point where we just throw out everything that we've already known, get rid of the constraints, don't think outside the box, destroy the box. Um, And so it was really about transformation with imagination. So we brought those two words, I brought those two words together, and transformagination was born. Um, it's It's a mindset, It's it's a... It could be a process. At the moment, I'm just sort of working through what that concept looks like for corporates. Unfortunately, it's a horrible analogy, but I'll use it anyway. You know, if your house burnt down and you had nothing left on the block of land, would you rebuild it exactly the same way as you built it before? Because probably your kids have grown or they might have moved out or you might now need a swimming pool in the backyard or whatever it happens to be. I don't know anyone who'd say, I'm going to rebuild it exactly the same way. And in some instances, the front room may have been saved, but in probably just better to knock that down and start again. So in transformagination, what I'm trying to do is say, forget about what used to be. Used to be's don't count anymore. They just lay on the floor till we sweep them away, said Neil Diamond in 1979 with his song with Barbara Streisand. Um, it's about saying, forget about what you should do because should kind of implies, you know, there's a set of unwritten rules that you need to follow. So take the word should and throw it away and replace it with the word could. What could this business be? What could we do? What could we invent? And it's all about, I think, moving the power from the people who have traditionally been the decision makers and the influencers within organisations to those who should be. And if you think about it, most organisations, I'm thinking bigger corporates here, so let's talk about, you know, the, the top 500 businesses in New Zealand or in Australia. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, the people who have been the influencers have been people in their 50s. Uh, they are more often than not male, more often than not they've been in the organisation or at least in the industry sector for 25 to 30 years. Yeah. The reason that they're the influencers is because if something turns to custard, they're in a good position to pull it back online. They're the ones who've said, yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah. You know, I'll just do, we do this, we press that lever, we, you know, bang, we're back online. But we've never seen anything like what we've just been through. And all that stuff about what we used to do, who cares? So now the, innovate, the, the people who should be the influencers are the innovators, the creative thinkers, the people who probably aren't 55-year-old blokes who have been in the industry for 25 years. An organisation that I know of, and I won't name names unless someone from that organisation is listening, mm-hmm. they made a decision to replace their CEO and the determination was that we are going to transform this organisation. Yeah. So they went and got the two IT from the competitor and brought them in. Absolute nutsville. You're talking transformation. 
that doesn't really seem to be a transformative move. That no. seems to be copying, and it's a bit, of a bit of a copycat move. Steady as you go. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing. And in an environment where the world is going along beautifully and everyone knows exactly what they should be doing and everyone, you know, yeah, absolutely, it makes enormous sense. But we've never seen anything like this before. No, so we already in the in the in the few conversations I've been having on the podcast with people, transformation has come up a lot, especially around this year. I mean, this is we're having forced transformation um, placed on us. The 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 old normal is gone. You know, there's that there's that um, new adage, the new normal, whatever that might mean, for companies that are trying to transform. Um, not just improve, because I, I, I often think that, that the improvement stage comes before the transformative stage, because we can help companies improve things and so show a return on investment, in my case, a return on experience investment. And then they start seeing, because all they really care about is the bottom line on, a, on, on one level, really. Um, they don't care about the pretty um, customer journey maps. They care about what is going to deliver a better return on the money that I'm giving to this consultancy or to this tech platform. And then once they've had some return on investment, they're much more open to, to transformation. Now, companies haven't had the luxury of improving things as they waited for COVID to strike. Transformation has been launched on them or the, the requirement to transform. If if there's some business leaders listening, what's what what good, solid, earthy, baseline advice could you give to those uh, those future transformers? What, apart from contacting me and, and utilising my services, you mean? Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's uh, – I don't know the right way to put it, and I'm trying to think of a cliche, but in my mind, the thing they've got to do is say, forget about what used to happen. Forget it, you know um, – Again, I'm going to quote one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, Barry Gibb, who said, conventionality belongs to yesterday in the, the theme to Greece, 1978. So what we're talking about here is you have got a literal, we hope, literally once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make a change like we've never had before. So rather than talking about business as usual, which is uh, I, how many people I've spoken to, so I just can't wait till we can get back to business as usual. Guess what? There's no such thing anymore. We are now in business as most unusual. Yes, yes. Forget about, you know, I've had people say, okay, Smarty, what's the new normal look like? Me? The new normal is whatever you want it to be. You have, for the first and probably only time in your working life, you can turn something completely on its head because everyone's expectations have changed. So there are all sorts of uh, consulting groups running around at the moment, and I don't ever call me a consultant. Um, transformation, transformationist, yes, but not a consultant. There are consulting groups running around saying, talk to us. We know stuff. We've got so much experience. We are a global organisation. You know the ones I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. You know what? All the experience they've got is running an organisation in the pre-COVID days. Nobody knows what this looks like. So forget about the big consultancies. Forget about dragging in the big guys that, that beat their chest and say, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years. In fact, the more time that they've spent doing it, the worse I think that works. Start <laughs> looking to the people in your team. Start looking at the young folk and saying to them, right, here's your big opportunity, young people in our team. 
You tell us what you think we should do. doesn't mean they're right, but at least give them a voice because now they are as qualified as anybody and they've got the energy. I would, I'd, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, and I, th I think that it's often those people that are at the, um, and I, I don't like the term frontline because it, it, it creates a, it can, it can create a feeling like the, the customer is somehow the enemy. You're going over the top to, to, to face, face the challenge. Um, but the, 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 the customer contact teams, the people, there, there are two types of people in an organization now, really, if you're thinking from a customer-centric position. One are those that are delivering the experience to a customer, the products and the services, and those that are supporting them. So those that influence the, the customer directly and those that influence them indirectly. And we need to open our ears to those people who are directly involved on a daily basis because often they're not they're not asked what they think sh should change. They're just they've got their KPIs and they've got their targets and whether it's you know number of problems solved or number of punters spoken to or um, number of uh, of campaigns out that 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 month um, because they're being led by the leaders. So so how. I, I I love I love talking to those employees, um, and I think that you get some of that goal. So how can how can companies start doing that without talking to the likes of you and me? Is it really just now? Now let's start listening to each other. What's everybody's opinion? I'm going to give you three job titles, and that's another thing I don't particularly like: job titles. But let me run with these three job titles and and give me some idea as to how they have traditionally been thought of in an organisation. Mailroom person or mailroom attendant. Um, secondly, uh, the cleaner, and thirdly, the delivery driver. Where do they sit in the organisation? Historically, under Adam Smith's version, right at the very bottom, um, and so and often sometimes siloed off to the side as well, where they can have as little impact on the business as they as, as they can. Yep. So the mailroom person is the person who facilitates communication within the organisation. The cleaner is the person who ensures your health and safety and well-being, and your delivery driver is your frontline customer interaction team. So why aren't we talking to those people? Why are we talking to people who sit in stuffy offices? I go back to a project I worked on many, many, many years ago. That way I'm keeping it nice and vague, and it was many, many, many years ago. There was 1,000 people in the team, and the person sitting at the top of the team, I remember calling us into a town hall session one day to tell us what an amazing job we were doing because it was green lights all the way. I know for a fact in our team, we had eight lights that we had cut up. We had seven reds and an amber. Now, somewhere along the way, as it worked its way up through this amazing labyrinth of organisational diagram, it gradually got watered down. So the person at the top's got this amazed amazing result saying, how good is my thousand people? Yeah. Because we are delivering first-class project outcomes. Well, that's kind of an example of it. why are we talking to the the chief marketing officer or the chief customer experience officer? Give me a break. <laughs> they are, they've probably been a customer themselves, but they've got like five layers under them, the people who actually know what's going on. It's time to listen to those people because the people at the top, they were good at steering the ship back onto course when it went off course. Well, what, what course are we talking about? There is no course. It's now time to engage with the people who really know what's going on. There's an old saying once, do you want to talk to the person in charge or the person who knows what's going on? 
And (laughs) there in that is a particular piece of wisdom that I think we could uh, all adhere to. Yeah, I'd, I'd... Well, well, I, I I like your soapbox. I mean, I don't I don't think that there are a, there's a problem with some of those positions that you talk about. Like, a, a, I think a, I actually think there's quite a few companies that could benefit from a virtual or a full time chief customer officer. But if you had a chief customer officer that was walking in thinking that they knew everything and didn't value, they they in their first few days. There's a wonderful book called um, Gene Bliss, and I will put a link in, in, the, in the notes. And it is, um, it's called Chief Customer Officer. And it's definitely coming in from, a, from an outside-in perspective. But first of all, your customers know way more about your brand and the experience than you do, or probably anyone inside your organization does. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then you've got the people that are interacting with them on a daily basis that need to be listened to and talked to. And taken, they're also, I mean, the people, I don't think that there's many practitioners that would think that there's much difference between EX, employee experience, and customer experience, because it's still down to the human experience. And you can apply the models across employee experience, across um, customer experience. They have to be given attention. They have to be listened to. They must be involved. Um, and if you can do that with the key human segments inside and outside of your organization, you will quickly uncover the major pain points that you have to fix to continue your improvement or transformation process moving forward, I feel. Yeah, but if the, if the, if the chief customer officer is sitting in, a, in an office on the 32nd floor of your building and hasn't actually been inside one of your locations and has got... You know, five layers between them and the people who have, that's where I get concerned about it. There's a bloke called Bob Anstead um, who ran a uh, budget rental, uh, budget car rentals over here. A really interesting guy. He's now probably in his 80s. And one of the things that he introduced, I would have said in the 70s, was it didn't matter who you were in the organisation, including him, you would spend one day per month behind the desk in a rental outlet. Right. Yeah. Very right? smart. So you knew how slow the system was. You knew how abusive a customer could be. You knew how good it was to be able to solve a problem for a customer. Not sitting in some ivory tower somewhere saying, look at me, I'm the chief customer officer. Indeed, getting out and being customer focused as distinct from customer activity focused, which are two totally different. Well, I think there's a big difference between being customer focused and customer centric. Because we can we can be uh, we can be asking our customers we can be having lots of experience with them and then stopping them in the street and saying hey what do you think of us now, and that's still very it might be focused on your customer but it's still all about you it's still all about the brand, yeah so so I totally agree with you on that and and for those with those customer um, chief customer officers out there I'm I'm not sure there's that many I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make too many enemies today <laughs> and say that, the, that it's rife but it's certainly it's certainly one and there's also customer experience is one of those areas that is a it's a very fast growing discipline you know three years ago um, when I got into customer experience I was talking to peers and colleagues in New Zealand and no one knew what CX was it was a it was, it was a completely brand new lexicon and it's still it's still new. It's it's been. I think it's, sometimes it's hijacked by the the software manufacturers. Who I was one of those. I represented one where I'd go into an organisation and I would pretty much tell them that they would have a customer experience strategy if they put this beautiful piece of software into their organisation. And of course, it doesn't because it's we require systems thinking to solve difficult problems like what do our 
what are the outcomes that our customers are trying to reach? What are the uh, what are the needs that they're they're fulfilling, and where are the pain points? Have you have you seen it change a lot when you're transforming? Tra- transformation um, career. I'm getting better at that, Neil. Um, um, how much more are you seeing the customer being um, being truly included and uh, given attention in inside organisations? I I, <laughs> I I told you my name was John Smith at the start of this, didn't I? Um, <laughs> That's right, John. <laughs> undoubtedly, the most customer centric customer responsive organization i worked for uh was uh in the 90s they busted their guts uh to introduce a process that they called customer responsiveness as distinct from customer service and it was about being responsive to customers needs and when you think about it an oil industry customer could be someone like the vast majority of the t- of the population who drives onto the driveway, puts 50 litres into the side of their vehicle, and then drives away again. They are super, super price sensitive. I'm not sure what the laws are in your neck of the woods, but over here, I think it's the price of fuel must be visible from 50 metres away on a signboard out the front. So Yeah, we've, we've got that. I'm not sure how well policed it is everywhere, but I'm sure that we've got a rule like that here. Yeah. And, of course, it's because you do that, everyone says the prices are fixed. Well, of course, they're not fixed. What happens is the bloke who runs the servo up the road drives past and goes, oh, you've got it at that price. I better do the same thing. In fact, there's a database that people actually go and record prices at various outlets so that the the oil companies can go and and check that. Um, So for them, price sensitivity is important, as is convenience. There used to be a time where you would never build a, a fuel outlet on the approach side of a set of traffic lights. Because you could get into the into the site, but you couldn't get out easily. So they would always be on the archer side of the intersection, that sort of stuff. So it was about convenience and you know being able to stop, get your fuel, but also get your milk, anything else that they seem to sell in those outlets these days. But at the other end of the spectrum, you've got customers who buy millions and millions and millions of litres of diesel every month. Some of those mining companies in the outback of Western Australia just they go through fuel like you've got no idea. Now, how do you have what would one of those massive um, diggers, um, the, 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 I don't know what you would describe them, the ones that I used to have, a Tonka truck. I call them the Tonka trucks. But what would those big ones that you've got, a, they're, they're, they're the size of a small office block. Um, what would they use in terms of fuel? Yeah. Lots, I think, is the technical term. trains see driving through Western Australia, um, they... Uh, they can hold up to about 140,000 litres of diesel in them. And I know of one of them that just would drive out to a mine, drop the load, turn around, go back, refuel, turn around, go back re- and drop again. So, you know, they're just going through bucket loads of diesel out there. Um, so how do you have a one-size-fits-all customer strategy when you've got those two extremes and everything in between? Quite frankly, I couldn't care what the price of fuel is. If I need fuel, I'll buy fuel. I'm not going to be driving up and looking at the price because having been in the oil industry, swings and roundabouts, you know, you understand that concept. So tell me as my as a, this customer, what do I want in, a, in a, a fuel outlet? Well, I want to be able to stop my car safely. I want to be able to get out of my car and if it's raining, not get wet. I want to be able to get to the, off the, the payment point without being wet or be able to pay at the pump. That's the other option. I want it to be available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're the sorts of things that make it important for me to have a good customer experience. Mm. Um, other people, they, they couldn't care less as long as the price is cheap. So 
I think the big mistake a lot of these organisations do is try and have a one-size-fits-all. And a classic example of that is another one of my um, hobby horses is the net promoter score system. That Please, let's, I'd love to hear your, um, your soapboxing on this because I don't feel that I can really go for it because it's oh, we, we talk about it a lot in the CX community and it has, um, let's just say, a, a, a varying levels of support for that, for that metric. Um, some people see it as valuable as part of a larger system. Other people see it as the panacea for, um, for all business ills. So where's your where's your position on that? Well, first, firstly, let me be positive about it. I think whoever invented it uh, is an absolute genius because they have no no doubt made bucket loads of money for their organisation. So congratulations to that person. I worked for an organisation that used it for three years. I was regularly told I had to do things to improve the NPS, and to this day. I don't know how they calculated it. Uh, oh, we got a 25. Oh, did you? We got a 42. Okay. Is that good? Is 25 better than 42? And people run around throwing these numbers around. And I don't think they actually understand. Like, okay, great. Score's great. But if I said to you, Brenton, I'm giving your uh, podcast a seven, the obvious question's going to be, so why didn't you give me a 10? Right? What, what can I do better? But that, that stuff doesn't get talked about. We went through a phase where we we did a verbatim, as distinct from a conversation. We'd actually get someone's comment. And I remember going, <laughs> funny story, it was a bank, okay? Let, let's put it in that context. I had, I had started working in this organisation and I was given the opportunity to change my bank from the one I was using to the one I was now working for. So I thought I better do the right thing. So where I used to live at that time, I lived three doors away from Geelong's premier shopping strip. I had given them my um, my postal address, which is a post office box, and of course they also wanted my physical address. They sent my authorised debit card to my home address, three doors down from the major shopping strip, and I found the envelope in my garden, as distinct from in my letterbox. When I opened it up, the card was there, thankfully. But what it meant, the rules here were you could use that in tap and go for up to $99.99 per transaction. So someone could have found that card and walked along the street and used it in each one of those shops. And so I was a bit grumpy about it. So I rang said bank and told them about it. And they said, oh, no, you've never given us your postal address. You've only ever given us our your, your home address. So I pointed towards my business account which is in my name, which is attached to my account. And lo and behold, there's my postal address. So after they apologised, you know, anyway, I gave them a five or something for the NPS experience. So I offered to do the verbatim at the next at the next team meeting, and I read it out. And everyone started, oh, you know, very poor, we get very disappointing, we've got to do better. And, you know, we all were in violent agreement that it wasn't good enough. Yeah, there was no suggestion of what we do. We, you know, and I said one last thing too. By the way, the customer concerned is me. Suddenly, right? Well, what you need to do is you need to do this, and you need to make sure this guy knows. And suddenly, there was an action plan because it was me, and I was in the room. So there wasn't. It would it would seem that we we're all going to sit and nod and look very serious, put our serious looks on, when it was a customer. As soon as it became a person. 
suddenly, oh, and the person we know, we then had to turn ourselves purple to try and get something done to fix it. And that, to me, is where the NPS thing doesn't work. Apart from the fact no one understands the calculation. Well, not no one does. Very few people understand the calculation. Secondly, these, you know, trite comments you get from customers just get, yeah, we'll read them out in the meeting, we'll all look serious and nod ahead. But what actually gets done to improve that? You've, you've raised some really good points. I mean, I... I think that uh, I think I think that that I can't. I think that there are a lot of MPS products out there that fall foul of the issues that you're talking about here. I don't think it's necessarily. It's I, I equate MPS to being as valuable to customer experience as your bathroom scales are to weight loss. Yes, like you, they're useful. They're really useful. Having a metric, something to lift and raise. But it's not a metric that tells you what you should do. You talk about, I've heard about these concerns directly from managers and people on the people at, um, in, the, in stores that they, they get given a number that will either improve their week because it will be good news and they'll get tapped on the back by the regional manager saying, hey, well done, you know, the store's gone up this week. They'll have no idea why it's gone up or why there's been an increase from 42 to 68 or whatever it may be. And the following week, it may go down a little bit. And what's the lag time? Like, if I've implemented a program this week... It can be very large. It can be very large. Yeah, it relates to eight weeks ago. So the other other thing, I think there's there's a, a large paradox with these voice of customer tools. And it comes at both sides with both employee engagement and customer engagement. They're tools that are there to measure and improve engagement. And yet certainly me as a customer, I find very few of those surveys that I've taken, and I've, I think I've probably taken more than many because I'm professionally interested. I was, I was particularly interested with um, Burger King's 42 questions for me to get a free cheeseburger. That there's no way I would have given 12 minutes of my time to complete that. Filling in information that was also on the receipt so it disengages me. It's trying to make me a more engaged customer, but disengaging me there and then. It's generally talking about the company. It's like if I buy a fishing rod, I'm not buying a fishing rod to give you a transaction. I'd be crazy if that was my outcome as a customer I'm trying to reach. But if you, are, if you had a QR code on my fishing rod that said, you know, when you catch your first fish, tell us how it was. Those sorts of things. There's ways that we could be engaging with our customers. And there are... And there are some brilliant companies out there doing that as well. Um, those companies are also wonderful at engaging with the employees because traditionally MPS has now become, and we used to ask it in one of our surveys at Halftime Orange because it was kind of like the industry thought leadership was saying, yeah, use MPS to, as KPIs. It's a really good KPI. It's not based on numbers. But it's still just a KPI that people are trying to gain and they're focusing on what's important to them, their KPI, instead of, you know, you, you get you get survey begging. I don't know whether you've you've ever experienced that, where a, 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 you're having a, a relatively okay retail experience, and then someone tells you that, please give me a ten because my um, my 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 weekly bonus is based on this. It's like, well, okay, I will, but that's a weird customer experience. That's a weird jarring moment to go through with a brand. Yeah, and 
and I can think of one organisation that I deal with regularly that I haven't mentioned so far by name, so don't go trying to tie it on one of them, uh, who does that every time. Every time I interact with them, I get the same question. They're, they are reasonably significant transactions. So, you know, I get that I'm not doing it every day, but to me, that's just crazy stuff. Because I think, I was trying to think about this before we started chatting. I remember talking to someone, and I think there's a parallel in here. If not, you can chop this bit out. But um, I think the parallel is I had a mate who started his own business. And he was going to organizations and saying, how, uh, how can I help you? Right Now, what he was looking for his customers to provide the solution to his problem. That is, I don't have a job. I don't have an income. If you give me some work, you have solved my problem. And I asked him to turn it around and say, no, no, you go in and say, I think if, if you think about it, A, B, and C is not working as well as it could. If I come in and do this, that will improve. So in other words, you're the solution to their problem. Well, it's a bit the same with being a customer. Why, as the customer, would I want to make the employee happier or make the NPS score improve or make the CEO's bonus go up? Why would I care less? It's all about they should be doing stuff to make my life happier, even if it's only for a brief moment. I couldn't agree more. I mean, what what started off my journey in customer experience, I actually think on a fundamental level, it's almost a crime to be giving somebody some of your hard-earned resource to come away feeling a little bit shittier <laughs> than you did before. It's like that's, that seems so wrong on so many levels to me. I think the other thing too that has happened, because it's now almost a plague, this We've got to improve that. You know, we really care what you think. You know, you cannot ring any of the major telecommunications people, any of the major utilities, without being told, would you mind hanging around and giving me a score out of five at the end and, and two questions, right? Yeah. I always say, sure, I'm happy to do that. And as soon as they put me through, I hang up. I don't want to upset them, but my, yeah. my input to that conversation is pointless. But yeah. we've now got, if you think about a big room into which we start stacking the information we collect from our customers, you, you can't get in the room. There is just so much stuff there. And if I purely and simply say, I want I want to, well, let's use the podcast as an example. You ring me afterwards and you say, what would you give me as a score? I say 10, 7, 6, 1, whatever it is I decide to give you. And then you say, so tell me why. Tell me what I could do better in terms of my production. Tell me what I could do better in terms of my microphone usage. What could I do better, right? And I start giving you more information, right? So it all goes into this magic data room that you've got. You go in there at some stage and you go, holy Toledo, Batman. I've got a million customers. Every single one of them has answered the question, all of those questions. I've now got so much information, I don't know what to do with it. Oh, just give me the numbers. Give me the average number. That's easiest. You know. And so you walk away and you go, I've got a 7.8 or a 9.3 or whatever. Great. Does that mean you're really, really crap at using a microphone and everything else is really good? Or have I actually given you a bad score because I can see I don't like your haircut? Right. So it's you don't know. Without going into that info that you've collected, and I've just spent 10 minutes as a customer giving you that information, and all you really care about is the number. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're missing we're missing the gold, which is the 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 actual experience of the person, like what's important to them. I think there's a lot of companies 
that are expecting to get the answers for their company woes by just listening to their customers and what do you think about us and how should we improve? And that's not the customer's job to do that. The customer's job is to enjoy the product and to fulfill their outcome to the best of their ability. And it's our jobs to understand how to fulfill those outcomes better than our competitors, better than current ecosystems may allow. We, we, a good example, we spoke to a lovely guy called Matt Lee. He was our second guest. Um, on the podcast, and he's got a company um, out of Sydney called Oasis, O-A-C-I-S, and I should know what they stand for, but basically it is a, um, a travel concierge service that allows you to get your bag from your house out of your site and never have to deal with it again until you get to your hotel or destination. It means that you can, it, it's also transforming into a concierge service where you don't need to get to the airport you only need to get to the airport on the exact time that you arrive, which means that the the queues are smaller, the uh, there's no scrum around the the baggage handling area, and they've 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 they they didn't do that by speaking to customers. What do you want? Um, how how should we do this? It was it was through insight into what are the pain points that these guys have got, and now it's up to us to come up with the solution, and it's up to us to have, to to keep delivering those outcomes as smoothly and as um, effectively as possible. Yeah, because I think the other thing is too, often in in that circumstance, if you think about the assessment that we're asked to give of a customer experience, quite often that's going to happen where they're going to say to you, they're going to shove a microphone under your mouth, under your, your mouth at some point and say, so tell us what you think. I, sometimes I'm not going to know the answer to that for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, maybe the next time. Maybe I've never travelled overseas before and I use Oasis and here we go, you ready for it. I don't want to look back in anger. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm loving the musical drops. Fantastic, mate. <laughs> I look at that and I go, this is the most dreadful service I've ever heard, seen in my life. I had to wait an extra hour for my bag, whatever. The next time I don't use them, and then I realise, in fact, I'm waiting for my bag for four hours. They're actually a brilliant, brilliant service. So sometimes you need a comparator to say, actually, that's really good or it's really ordinary. So it may not happen until I travel again three years later. So it, it's really difficult. Yeah, there's, um, it's often based on our expectations. And I think that's where, for, for these guys, they're going to make so many runs so quickly for, for existing, um, existing travellers. And we're also going to talk about it because we love giving tips to, if we travel a lot, we love giving tips to people that don't travel very much. So I think that they'll do very well through word of mouth. Um, I think that's true. We've all had bad experiences, so therefore, theirs yeah. is going to. We've already got a measuring point. But we've already got it on the comedy shows, haven't you? Like we've, you and I, we've mentioned Benny Hill for, it, for once in our past. Uh, but you know, I'm sure they must have had plenty of uh, um, shots where it was, um, you know, people people having a nightmare well, with their yeah, with their cargo. A, a different example. I'm, I've been to see a podiatrist this morning. I've got a bit of a, a problem with my foot. Never seen a podiatrist before in my life. So it was just. Have I enjoyed the experience? Well, no. She keeps on pressing on the bit that hurts. Um, I don't enjoy that bit at all. But who knows? Six weeks time, it might be healed, and every healed. There it is again. Um, that <laughs> it might be that um, you know she's absolutely fantastic, and my guess is she is. Mm. But I can't give her a score now out of ten and say, you know, 
you're an absolute sensational podiatrist. I, my, my strong suspicion is she's very, very good at what she does and there is some improvement therefore. But you can't just go in and say, how was your experience today? Yeah. Based on your got, experience today, how likely would you recommend uh, my service and product? Well, based on today, you put me through excruciating agony. So that'll be a one <laughs> that's coming. Uh, yeah. So I think part of it's about having something to measure it against. In the case of never having been to a podiatrist before, she is undoubtedly the best podiatrist I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, it's funny, but this 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 brings me back to, and I'm going to get off this soon because I promised that I'd talk to you about podcasting. I've just had such a fun talking to you about transformation in what is an incredibly transformative year for so many people, I think. Or as we like to say, transformative year. Transformative. Well, how much imagination is going into it? But when, when can you get to the imagination part of it? Because I do... I think that we're we're mirroring we're mirroring the five stages of grief in a lot of ways, and people are grieving the loss of the the status quo. Some people more than others, because some people have lost more as well. Some people had a very stable existence that they could felt was very bankable, and I see a lot of those people very angry and very and in denial at certain stages over the last few months. I'm starting to see more people forget about those other two, but the final stage acceptance. How do we get to an acceptance that transformation is required and we have to unlock our imagination a bit more? Well, it takes some leadership from those who who need to be leaders. And I use that term leader rather than manager because, you know, traditionally we've looked to our manager for direction. Um, leaders can be the people who are at the bottom of the organisational diagram. You don't have to have the title manager in your title to do it. No. What it's going to need, though, is for, I'll use the term influencers, and that's got its own connotations, another word I dislike intently, but the people who influence decisions in the organisation, they now need to accept the fact that they don't necessarily have all the answers. And conversations like this, and hopefully other conversations I'm having, maybe the penny's starting to drop in some organisations, because if you simply go to the same people and ask them to get this thing back on track. In the banking industry, for example, are we allowed to timestamp this in September 2020? Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. Go back to January, February 2019 in the Australian banking industry. We had a Royal Commission, and there were some serious, serious holes found in the Australian banking system. And so all the banks, I assume, but certainly the one I was working with, pulled in some really big guns and said, right, we've got to do stuff differently here. And there was a lot of effort put in and things are significantly better than they used to be. There have been some measures put in place to ensure that people aren't being offered credit limits that are too high. There's some things there where people are being informed before they sign a home loan, all these sorts of things that weren't necessarily in place. Those people dragged themselves through 2019, got to the end of the year and thought, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And then something like, and I don't know the exact number, but something like 30 or 40% of the southeast corner of of um, Australia caught fire and that just opened up a whole can of worms in terms of other things that the banks were required to do. They had to put emergency funding in place. They had to allow overdrafts. They had to allow, they had to open branches where branches had been burnt down. They had, there was a whole set of things. Guess what? Same people. So then we get to March and suddenly it's all announced that people have to start working from home. Guess who the poor sods were that were asked to come up with a plan of attack to do that? Same people, the same leaders. And now they're all laying in the corner in the fetal position going, 
I can't do this anymore. And someone's going to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, listen, get up. We now need to reestablish our business. Off you go. Like these people must just be exhausted and not yeah. necessarily physically exhausted because they're working from home and not commuting all that sort of stuff, but emotionally and mentally exhausted. Now is the time to say, we need a hand here. Today in Australia, I, I assume it's worldwide, it's Are You OK Day, um, where people are encouraged to go and ask, Are they OK? We should be saying to those leaders, Are you OK? And if not, even if you are, start getting other people to come in and share the load. And guess what? They aren't necessarily at the top of the organic ground. That, that, that whole expert thing that we keep skirting around, it reminds me of a chapter that I was reading in Black Swan. Fantastic book to read at the moment because if, if COVID isn't a Black Swan event, I'm not sure what is. Um, and one thing that um, he, um, he focuses on is how much you can really trust experts around a Black Swan event. No one's been through this before. There's all these experts across media and the talking heads, wherever you see, and they're all telling us they know what's going to happen. And how can they? How can any of us? We just have to, I think we do have to get back to basics. I think we have to get back to human connection um, and connecting with those people inside and, our, and outside of our organisations to do that. Um, but for anybody, uh, for anybody in the fetal position at the moment in a corner um worth reaching out to you neil you'd be you'd be happy to, to have a conversation if there's anyone who's listening to this podcast who goes you know what i just need to chat to somebody reach out to somebody it doesn't matter who you are in australia we've got an organization called beyond blue um they deal with uh people who've got anxiety depression issues mental health issues they're very very accessible uh, beyondblue.com.au or uh, beyondblue.org.au, I think it is actually. No doubt you've got similar organisations in your part of the world. All over the world, there are organisations like that. Reach out. But if you can't find someone to reach out, you want to bounce some ideas about business, whatever, more than happy to talk to you. No, well, that's good. I know, I, I know that during my two and a half years now with Halftime Orange, it's been incredibly important to, to have people around to talk to, um, or to people to reach out to. And when I haven't had time and there were there were a few darker days where I felt very isolated um didn't feel that you you have to portray this image of success um when you're building a company and kind of put your head above the parapet and say actually I'm struggling here things aren't working I'm waking up in the morning and I'm not quite sure how the mortgage is going to be paid and I'm kind of getting exhausted by that whole process yeah um then yeah yeah to have I'd I'd like to would, I've, and I've, I've mentioned it to friends and peers of mine. I'd also like to make myself available. I'll, I'll also do some research, and this is some area, probably because I've, I've battled it myself in the last two years. Um, I've, I've not, I guess I've, I've developed that staunch New Zealand image, that, uh, that New, New Zealand approach that we'll do it on our own, we'll stuff it, we'll stick it out, she'll be right attitude. Um, but I'll, I'll uncover a few links and we'll put them in the in the in the notes as well to the show. Um, we've spoken very little about the podcast, really, and I was I was planning on speaking to you mainly about podcasting because I'm at the beginning of my journey. Um, your num your your guest number six. So thank you so much. Um, you've got you've got seven, as you said at the start of the show. Okay, do you want to give us uh, just some some highlights? Um, about what we should be, you know, who, who should we be, which of your podcasts should we be su subscribing to? Um, I'm certainly interested in um, farming irrigation, so I'll be uh, listening out for that one. <laughs> well, I, I think the flagship one is called WowPod. Um, WowPod is the Words of Wisdom podcast. 
And I'm just looking at a, a spreadsheet that's over here towards my right-hand side from where I'm sitting. And on the 12th of October, which looks to me like a Monday, uh, from uh, midday New Zealand time, 10 a.m. Melbourne time on the 12th of October, there will be an episode of WowPod featuring a chap called Brenton Weber um, from New Zealand. Oh, um, that will be rubbish. <laughs> There's no such thing as rubbish when you talk about this. No, it's, no. It's, I, I recorded it and it was wonderful. I had such a good experience being on your show. Although I I have to say your 15 quick questions has left me in a metaphysical quandary on numerous occasions. Like, why did I say that? That's not my favourite drink. Oh, yeah, but it is my favourite drink. And um, I probably would give 15 completely different answers this, if we if we sat down again in a week's time. Yeah, and that's part of the fun with it, to be honest. And, and it's it's normal. I say this in the nicest possible way. Ordinary people telling ordinary stories. It's it's telling people things you've learned along the way. And I've got some stats here. I've I've now got two hundred and ninety statements of wisdom that have been collected in the sixty-seven episodes I've I've recorded. There's only about fifty odd already um, uh, published that come out a couple of weeks. And uh, We've had two and a half thousand downloads or thereabouts, so it's a, it's starting to get a bit of traction. But it's just a really easy listen. It's 35, 40 minutes, something like that. Just two blokes chatting. Really, that's that's kind of it's not even another podcast. But WowPod is the one that I would recommend people have a listen to. And if people want to have a crack at it, go to wowpod.com.au forward slash participate. Fill in the details and do what Brenton did and come and have a chat to me. That's that's a bit of fun. Um, one of the things I've started doing the last little while is I've, I'm now hosting other people's podcasts, and that's that's something of a challenge, um, including the I mentioned the irrigation channel. I, I know as much about irrigation as most people know about podcasting. Uh, that is, I know what it is, but I've got no idea how to do it myself. And I've been approached by the uh, irrigation, sorry, I'll try to get the Irrigated Cropping Council to present their podcast. And that's a real challenge because it, it's it's really like being um, a radio commentator, and I, I do a bit of that as well, I guess, where I'm listening to my guest and being able to, here's a word I hate as well, we use it too far too often in 2020, and then being able to pivot the conversation into a different direction if I need to or ask a question that's relevant so that we can keep that conversation going. So that's been a bit of a challenge for me. Another one called Regional Leadership Australia, which I'm also doing for the, another organisation. So I think the big change in podcasting has happened. I think you cannot buy a microphone to save yourself in Australia at the moment. Uh, now, part of that's to do with the fact that imports have been reduced, but every man and his dog's gone out and bought himself a podcasting kit. And as a result, here comes a, a blatant plug. I've set up a, uh, a, biz, a business name called Mastercaster, so mastercaster.co. And that's where people can go from what I'm saying, you know, zero to hero podcasting, where you know nothing about podcasting. And by going through this program with a bit of coaching, a bit of online stuff, you can actually get to the other end and be able to run your own podcast. That's kind of the, the journey. There's another one I don't like. The journey we're trying to take people on. So um, that hopefully will kick off in the next couple of weeks. If anyone's interested, they can make contact with me or via mastercaster.co. But um, yeah, I think podcasting is going to become a much more acceptable thing after this whole thing is over and done with. Because if you think about it, 1970, um, you'd go, if you wanted a, a message to get out to your customers or to your um, to your staff, you'd go and get a memo typed by the girls in the typing pool. And I use that term deliberately because that's what it was in those days. Uh, and then about 984, our mate Steve decided to invent the Apple Macintosh, 
where suddenly people said, I don't actually have to send this down to the typing pool anymore. I can put my own graphics in. I don't need to send to a design agency. I can do my own thing. Then in 1995, we got to the stage where people were able to email easily to external people. So that thing you were creating on the Apple Macintosh, which had worked its way up to being a Mac, you can now email out. That was in 1995. And most organizations are still doing it as their primary interaction with either their employees or their or their customers. And I'm not saying that's not the right way, but it's not the only way. In 2004, Steve came back and introduced this thing called an iPod. And suddenly we were able to stick as many newsletters as you like into your pocket and a headset and you could walk around listening to your newsletter. Surely that's got to be a more engaging way. Um, when I go to Melbourne for work, it takes me somewhere between an hour and a quarter, an hour and three quarters to get to work. So I could spend three hours a day either in my car, on a ferry, or on a train. I don't want to be reading newsletters, certainly if I'm driving a car, but I can listen to them. So this concept of using a podcast instead of a newsletter, I think, is going to be something that's going to take off. And that's why I've set up the other bit, which is the doing the podcast on behalf of organisations. That's the yourpodcast.au. Uh, yourpodcast.com.au, yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. Well, again, we'll put we'll put some links in the notes. Um, with so many podcasts, and I, you can see it exploding. I mean, somebody gave me a number, and I'm not sure if it's exactly the right number or if it's an approximation. How does somebody like me stand out? How do we how do we make sure that what we're doing reaches the right people? Um, and or is it, or is it a self fulfilling prophecy? How much have we got um, Kevin Costner to blame for the um, if you build it, they will come a uh, myth. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on why you're doing your podcast. If I can be t- brutally honest, the reason I'm doing Wow Pod is because I'm just having a really great time chatting to people. I don't know whether you picked up or not. I don't mind a chat. And it's given me an opportunity to chat to people and some really interesting people. And I don't mean interesting as in famous. I mean interesting as in interesting. And so if no one downloads my podcast, does it really matter? Probably not. I mean, people like you might go, I don't think I want to play anymore. But when you asked me to be on this, you didn't say to me, oh, and by the way, this is how many down- how many downloads I get. Like, I couldn't care less. You and I are sharing ideas. It's the equivalent of heading down to the local pub for a cool drink on a warm afternoon and just chatting to somebody about stuff. So if your drive is to make money out of it, yeah, okay, you need to come up with something different. No different than if I said I'm going to invent a new pen. Why would someone buy my pen compared with the next pen? And I've had people ask me in my Start Your Own Podcast course, he said, dropping another shameless plug, um, (laughs) who's going to listen to my podcast? My answer to that is if you don't know, why are you asking me? (laughs) That's just nuts to ask me. If you don't know who's going to listen to your podcast, you need to to stand out. Um, I've got an analogy that I use. It used to be the white Commodore analogy when Holden's used to make Commodores in Australia. We run now with the Toyota Camry. I think that's a fairly global brand. Yeah. I go to my local car dealer and I say, I want to buy a white Camry. And he says to me, boy, have I got some news for you. Come with me. And he takes me to this backyard and he opens the door and there are 10,000 white Camrys sitting there. Which one am I going to buy? And for some people, they'll say the one with the best tyres. Some will say the one with the most registration, the one with the less Ks, the one with the nice sound system. Everyone has got a reason to choose one particular Camry. But if I've got five Camrys that have all done the same case, got the same sound system, the tyres are the same age, got the same rego on them, 
I can't choose. I, I just, yeah. oh, it's just too hard. I'll, I'll walk away. So when you're creating your own podcast, yours has to stand out for some reason. And I've got to say, part of the reason that yours stands out is that it's got a silly name. And I mean that caring, most caring way I can. I found out that um, I think it's Hamilton Academicals, the um, the the Scottish Football League team. Yeah. They've got a podcast on YouTube called Halftime Oranges. So uh, <laughs> they're the they're the only other um, podcast that I know has got an equally silly name. There's a there's a business in the UK that I know of that's sort of like a, a wellness and well being kind of organisation. They're calling themselves Transformagination. How's that work? Um, oh, there you I, go. Which genius came up with that term? <laughs> but I think, you know, in, in all seriousness, having a name that's a bit different, like WowPod, uh, you've seen the logo in it. It's actually on the wall behind me. That doesn't help anybody who's who's listening. But um, it's a big orange speech bubble with the word wow across it. Now, when you're going through the podcast and you've got a picture of, albeit that you're a very handsome man, Brenton, but if you've just got your photo <laughs> and it's got written underneath it, Brenton's thoughts, who's going to listen? Right? So it's about... It's it's a it's a marketing exercise. Have something that grabs the attention in the podcast store. Have something that's different about your business. Why do you think I'm a transformationist rather than a transformation lead? Yeah, it's about people going. Oh, that's a bit strange. I wonder what that's about. It's a it's an inquisitive nature. So rather than calling our irrigation podcast the Irrigated Cropping Council podcast, yeah, we call it the Irrigation Channel. It's got a nice play on words. You know, it, it's it's about no different to any marketing of any other product. Uh, and that's it, it, the challenge, how you stand out from the group. Yeah, no sage words. Um, before I let you go, um, what's the one tip that, you know, um, let's let's turn that NPS score on its head as well. So uh, what's, the, what's the one area that um, you think the majority of new podcasters could um, – What's the one thing that they should learn? What's the one thing that they should know? I mean, I'm very lucky. I've got a team around me that's taken away a lot of my um, steep learning curves. Um, so crowd much like your uh, the 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 the, um, the products and service that you're now um, uh, promoting and, and running, which um, incredibly useful for me. It was saving time. It's, that's the biggest thing for me as a business owner, how much time is actually involved in it. But for, yeah, for those that are reaching out and who maybe don't have that team around them, what's the one thing that you wish you'd have known when you first started? Uh, make sure you know what you're going to talk about. So I had a podcast a while back, which didn't last all that long. It was, it was called the BizWiz Report for no particular reason, and I ran out of ideas after episode eight because it was it was basically me talking into a microphone and saying things that were on my mind about business. And they, I started to repeat myself, and I, I think, have I already said that or did I write it somewhere? The great thing about WowPod is I've got something in the vicinity of 7 billion potential participants. Yeah. Now, some of them can't talk. Some of them are a bit old to talk. Some don't speak English, uh, but you know, broadly speaking, it's an open-ended collection of stuff. You think of the old days when you work in a corporate organisation and someone runs in and says, we're going to create a newsletter. We need to give our customers a newsletter. So they have a, a, a competition for a, for a name and it comes up with a really clever name and someone wins a pizza lunch because they came up with the name 
And edition one's magic. It's got everything in it. This is what we're going to be doing. This is the content. You can expect this to come out every four weeks, usual sort of stuff. Edition two, magic. Really good. It's a follow-up to the first edition. By the time you get into edition four, people are running in and saying, Brenton, have you got anything for the newsletter? And you go, no, I've got nothing for the newsletter. And you go, oh, look, I tell you what, can we do a bit of a profile on you? So we do a profile on Brenton and then the next, that's great because for the next three editions, we can do the other members of the team. Mm -hmm. And we get to episode eight or edition eight and we go, we've run out of things to talk about. If you are going to do a podcast, there's a fair bit of effort in getting it set up. There's a cost involved in setting it up, you know, buy the equipment, all that kind of stuff. And you don't have a clear picture of what your content is going to be and have it as differentiating I mean, how many podcasts are out there about investment? I mean, you know, real estate, um, well-being, business tips, what makes yours different and, and how can you make yours different? And one of the best ways to do that is have either a co-host or a regular guest so that it becomes a conversation rather than a presentation. That's three tips in one, really, isn't it? Is. And there's there's some great tips there. I know, I know for me, like it's taking, I think I'm pro, not that you might be able to tell, but I think this is, I'm starting to find my flow. I'm certainly finding it easier. Um, the wonderful Clem Newton-Brown, who we had on the first show, it was much more like an interview because I was just a little bit, it was just it took a little bit longer to get into the flow. Um, I don't think I would have got to this point without wonderful guests <laughs> because um, the, the, the the interesting people that we've had on so far and who we've got put in, I mean, that, that really is. I had a friend who actually um, very unexpectedly um, told me on Friday that, oh, I found, I found your new podcast really interesting. He said, you know, apart from your voice, everything else was perfect. But, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it certainly is um, like – getting that, that regular change of content through lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, which is where your WOW podcast does so well. Yeah, and I think the other thing is too that don't, you know, if you're talking about, I don't know, well, I have a thing called Well-Known Wednesday on WOWpod. The first Wednesday every month I have someone who has something of a public profile. So um, the most recent one of those was a person who has worked her way up to become a female presenter on Australian Rules Football on TV, and she is just killing it, right? So she's yeah. not... Prime Minister, I don't mean that kind of level of public profile, but if I say her name, Nat Edwards, people know who she is. So um, they are really important in marketing the thing. Oh, look, Nat's been on there. But at the end of the day, don't overlook the fact that the person you sit next to at work or the person that you have coffee with every now and again has got a really interesting story to tell. Now, if you're going to be doing it about medical procedures, probably best you talk to a doctor. <laughs> but if you're talking about opinion pieces or like in your case, experience as a customer. We're all we're all customers of somebody. No and doubt we all have that. customers of some description, even yep. if uh, in, in whatever we're doing. Yep. Oh well, good. Well, I've got, that sounds like I've got seven billion people to uh, to have a chat to over the next few years as well. Hey, um, Neil, um, I've really really enjoyed talking to you again. Um, I hope you've had a good time on the show as well. I hope we've explored some interesting things. Um, for those sitting in the corner, crying, wondering how to transform and they want to reach out to you, or for some of my peers who are considering podcasting, um, how's the best way that they should reach out to you? And we'll, we'll support you in any way you can in our, in our show notes as well. So, Thank yeah, you. how can best, they find you? The best bet is to go to www.untypical.com.au. So there's a few things there. Untypical thinking is the bit that uh, is, I guess, what you would describe 
through gritted teeth as the consulting arm. I really don't like that word, but um, the, the part of the business that works with larger, medium-sized companies to change the way they do things. Uh, there's untypical small biz, can't work out what that does, and untypical media, which is where the podcasting and online radio stuff fits into it. So if you go to untypical.com.au, all the contact details are there. And whilst there's all those other websites and stuff, they all fundamentally tie back to one spot, which is which is untypical. That's the name of the business. Brilliant. And yeah, I'd, I'd um, invite anybody that's listening to to sign up for the WOW podcast because I had so much fun in that, that 40 minutes or so that we spoke. So uh, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I look forward to the 12th of October, 12 p.m. It'll be, a, it'll be on all the Weber calendars. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again. And um, yeah, um, all the best luck in the future. And I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brandon. All the best to you and your listeners. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. Um, as a further sign of gratitude, we'd like to pass on a 30% discount to all listeners um, on the HTO Educate Learning Management System. We, uh, we've, we've launched it recently um, with a base level of um, courses that really focus on helping companies get through this really tough year, looking at mental health management, looking at um, managing virtual teams, setting up home offices. There's a, a, a very strong focus on health and safety as well, because we certainly believe that at the moment, your customers, the very base level of customer service that they're expecting is to be safe when they're doing business with you. So, so please have a look um, at the website, see whether it's something that could be of value to you and your teams in a year where it's very difficult to, to find time to train and to refresh skills and we'll put the we'll put the address in the notes um, to this episode um, along with the, the discount code which is hto podcast 30 but yeah that will be in the notes so once again thank you and i look forward to talking with you on the next podcast <laughs>